0: got
1: to start having those conversations and giving them responsibility and and letting them make mistakes Mm -hmm. and then coming together and talking about it and saying, okay, what, what needs to change as we move forward?
0: to Change Your Mindset podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. (laughs) We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do... Greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Today, my guest is Heather Ettinger, who's the author of Illumination Shining a Light on a Woman's Journey to Financial Wellness. As a champion for women and girls for over 30 years, Heather is widely recognized for her unique experience and dedication to helping women build their financial acumen and wealth culminating in the founding of Luma Wealth Advisors in 2017. She specializes in helping clients and their families create strategic financial plans to guide them through life transitions, such as the loss of a spouse, divorce, job changes, and to align their resources around family values and the impact in their communities. Heather co-authored two studies about women and their unique needs, entitled Women of Wealth, why Does the Financial Service Industry Still Not Hear Them? And Women of Wealth, What Do Breadwinner Women Want? Heather has been featured in many publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and Bloomberg, and is frequently requested as a speaker for industry associations, company women's initiatives, and wellness events. For conceiving new ideas and tools that have propelled the financial industry forward, she was recognized as a 2019 Icons and Innovators Honoree by Investment News. In 2019, she also proudly accepted the Ruth Boehner Ginsburg Award for Advancing the Aspirations of Women from the Women's Vote Project. This is an excellent interview because it shatters old-school beliefs about women and finances. Over the years, I've heard stories about husbands dying and wives having no idea of the family's financial position. Wives would not know if they had enough money to bury their husbands or even pay the mortgage. On the other side of the coin was those male financial advisors who had talked down to their female clients, or worse, talked down to the client's wife in front of the client. I have witnessed this personally. Thank you, Heather, for writing this book as a guide for women to finally understand and unravel the money messages in the personal money journey. How to explore money values and behavioral patterns around job, purpose, relationships, community, wealth, spirituality, and play. And how to create true financial wellness and design and live their unique, intentional life that will bring her and her family more joy.
0: This podcast is part of the C Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, In person and on site at your location or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop.
2: Now, let's get to the interview with Heather Ettinger. Welcome back, everybody. My guest is Heather Ettinger, and you've already heard about her background in the intro. I just want to say there's so much more to Heather that you're going to learn than you did in that intro. And first and foremost, Heather, thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy day on Thanksgiving Eve to have a conversation with me about your wonderful book, Lumination.
1: Well. Peter, it's um, I'm thankful for having this opportunity, and I have been following your work, and I'm really excited to have uh, a conversation and delve into perhaps some of our shared passions and interests.
2: Perfect. As I was doing some research on you, the one question that popped up in my head was, how did you develop this desire, this passion for the world of finance?
1: So, truthfully, I have always loved math. My father was in the investment management industry, Mm -hmm. and so I grew up around it. And the beauty is I also went to an all-girls school. And in an all-girls school, considering it was a few years ago, maybe a few decades ago is the better way to say it. We were taught that you you could follow any passion you want, and that girls were good at math and could be good at math. So I was very grateful for that lesson because it was always a strength of mine. And I love marrying math with the creative part of my brain as well.
2: Yeah, that's what we have. We do share that in common. But I, as I was reading more about your early years, your father would have foreign exchange students who are interns in his investment company. And you went, wait a minute, I want to do that. I want to go over there.
1: Tell me more about that. Sure. So my, my father was also a pioneer, which I believe I am as well. And he was always thinking about things a little bit differently. He went overseas and sold research long before the big houses did, the Merrill's or the Goldman's, et cetera. So he started selling research to foreign institutions for their, what they would call American desk, which meant their portfolios managing in American securities. And so he went over there and um, started working with them and, and developed great friendships and he, he really, my dad was larger than life and, and a great personality. So he had a lot of close relationships and he invited some of his clients' kids to come be interns at what was then Rolston and Company. And so when I was in college, I said to him, hey, we've had all these kids here. I know neither of my brothers went over there, but can I go? And my dad just cracked up because he's like. You know, figures, you're the one that's going to ask the question. <laughs> And he said, of course, I think it would be fantastic. So I was so fortunate, Peter. I had a chance. I worked uh, both for Bering Brothers in London, and it was an interesting time. I can tell more about that another time. But it was. uh, I also worked for a private Swiss bank. And you can imagine with the Swiss privacy laws, that was a completely different experience. And I lived just over the French-Swiss border with a family. And at the time, I was fluent in French. So It was just an amazing culmination of education, learning the industry, and quite frankly, learning from a foreigner's perspective, what really does influence their decisions, which happened to be a lot more about currency than fundamentals of investments. And that was a a lifelong lesson for me on what can move markets as well.
2: Wow, that, that's really cool. And I I did read some of the things that were going on during that period of time. But just having that opportunity to see it from a literally a completely different perspective and changing the way you think when you brought that back over to the U.S. So now let's
1: delve, delve into the book. Bottom line, why did you write this book? Well, I I wrote this book really for three reasons, and I'll tell you a little bit about my inception story, as I like to call it. So I fortunately had had a lot of success uh, being an equity trader in Boston for Jeffries and Company. And when I realized I could kind of do anything, I ended up coming back and joining my father's firm, which had did investments for clients at the time. And when I came back to Cleveland, I connected with three amazing female philanthropists who were very involved in, the, in Cleveland with the Women's Community Foundation. And they were, the Women's Community Foundation, just to give you an idea, and this is back in the late 80s, early 90s, was part of a national network of women's funds uh, that was 90 and growing. So it was a movement that was going on. And the reason those funds were started is that only 6% of national funding was going to programs that supported women and girls. And being the product of Laurel School, single-sex education, and feeling very strongly about empowering women, I thought, uh, I, I want to be a part of that movement. I want to be a part of that change. The second was, I saw quite quickly how poorly women were treated by the financial services industry. And they were talked down to, a lot of jargon, which they really didn't connect with at all. And um, also just intimidated by our industry And then the third reason was really that I learned if you educate and empower women, they're the agents of social change. So if you get to my why today, that's it. So what I learned in the process though, Peter, was we had to teach them differently. And I learned this through creating financial literacy programs for the Women's Foundation. And how women learn best, and don't laugh when I say this, is not being told what to do, but (laughs) rather uh, through anecdotes and stories. So you'll see that in the book. I'm very vulnerable. I share my own stories. And then also by having a framework by which to really think more deeply about what has meaning to them around money as opposed to just thinking of money as the what. So I often say, You know, the why is your values. The what is six different areas of life, which I can walk through for you. And the how happens to be your human capital and financial capital. But money is not the what. And unfortunately, I think our industry treats it that way. And so the book was really a way to say no, there is a much better way to reflect and have a conversation around money that's healthier and also is going to lead to a much brighter future for you and your family.
2: I love it. And, and I, I, I do want you to read the dedication of your book, but I also want to, before we get to that, you mentioned women weren't different. And I love, I love how you write in your books and often I start my financial literacy programs with a cartoon that reads, men, if you want to understand a woman's brain, imagine a browser with 2,468 tabs open all the time. All the time. I laughed out loud and went, I
1: get it now, I think, but I get it. <laughs> that, that is how our minds work. We are always juggling everything. And I think that's also part of the challenge. And that's what I also tried to bring out in the book is we do juggle a lot. And so we really need to think in a multi dimension way. About our money. Our money isn't the objective of just retirement. Our money is can, you know, am I gonna have to take care of my parents? COVID, am I gonna have an adult child that moves back in with me? So there are just so many different things that we Mm -hmm. think about. And I think that is is really why the framework needs to be different because when we just talk about the technical side, and I know you get this, Peter, the tax planning, the estate planning, the insurance planning, most of the women just glaze over. And the reason is that isn't connected to what they want in life. So the process in the illumination book really is about what do you want in life? And then, oh, by the way, there are these technical ways that we can help make that happen. But what you want in life is really needs to be explored in this multi-dimensional way mm-hmm. or it's not going to resonate with her. And just to give you some statistics in this country, over 70% of individuals, not just women, over 70% of individuals in this country say, A, they're under a lot of stress. And this is pre-COVID. And that financial stress is their largest source of stress. They lose over 19 hours of productivity a month worrying about finances. So I would tell you, I wrote this book for women, but there's probably a a broader use for it. And then the second thing is PIMCO did a study in 2018 where 50% of the 750 women said the way the financial industry approaches this process does not reflect my values or my lifestyle. So it, we got this complete disconnect going on. It's like battleship, miss, battleship, miss. We we really need to reframe that discussion.
2: Interesting. As you were telling this, the story, made me reflect some years ago with a former financial advisor my wife and I were sitting there with him, and he was going through, and I realized he was not as prepared as he should have been. And at one point, he took off his glasses, looked at my wife, and said, I'm going to talk to Pete about some stuff right about now. My wife's hand went on my leg because she felt me want to come across that desk and rip his throat out, because that goes to that condescending aspect of it, that old-school thinking. And he was immediately fired. I, I just. Yeah, I, I I hear you. I I think that's just one. It's rude, period, and two, it's clearly not knowing their audience.
1: Right, right. Oh. Well, and the fact of the matter is, women actually control already the majority of wealth in this country, and over uh, the next ten to twenty years, finance money will fall disproportionately to them because they are both typically outliving, if they're in a traditional marriage, their male spouse, and they're going to inherit from the generation above us. So about 40 trillion, pretty good sized number, is going to come to women. And yet the industry just tries to keep changing the font to pink and saying, oh, we're serving women. And they're a lot smarter than that. So to your point, I also did a, a thought leadership uh, paper in 2011 called Women of Wealth, Why Does the Financial Services Industry Still Not Hear Them? And 96% of women in that study said, the most important thing is you understand what's unique about me and my family. So I'm, I'm grateful for men like you who also want to change this dialogue because they understand there's a good chance she's going to outlive you. and. She needs to be engaged, not just included, engaged in that process so that she feels that she's being heard and that together you're making those decisions. My
2: current financial planner, it does all of that. I'm so impressed with him and how he's, he talks to my wife just like she talks to me. I mean, and he wants to know more about us, more about her. This is not a cookie cutter world anymore. You have to tailor to your audience. You just can't deliver and go, well, this is how it should lay out. I know, to your point, I need to know more about you. So then what are your values? What what do you want out of life? So we can structure your portfolio to meet those needs, not the old school way. And yes, we, we do. Those financial advisors need to pay more attention to their clients, understand who they are, what they are, what makes them tick, both of them in order to be successful, I believe, moving forward.
1: Exactly. I completely agree with you.
2: So could you read the dedication uh, of your book, which kind of also helps explain you know, why you wrote this book?
1: I would love to. Thank you. So this book is dedicated to all the women who have lived in fear or apprehension that they haven't done enough to manage their finances who feel trapped because they don't have financial freedom and those who maybe have started the work but aren't sure they're on the right path or working with the right people. Thank you, Peter. Um, As young girls, we receive money messages that forever impact our relationship with money. Often we are told that we aren't good with math or won't be good at managing our funds. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In my over 30-year career in advising clients, I can tell you women are great at managing finances and creating a holistic plan. When women are given a chance to explore in a safe environment what is important and how best to make choices for them and their families, they thrive. May this book shine a light for you on the possibilities. I love that. Thank you. But
2: describe in your definition of what is a safe environment. That jumped out at me right there.
1: That was intentional language. So I think it's important that it's often, we think a lot about big webinars or we think a lot about big approaches to managing finances and the fact of the matter is the best thing you can do in this process that creates that that sense of safety is some sort of connective exercise on the front end and often that's done through storytelling so for example in our we do these very small webinars typically it's in person, which is by far better. (laughs) And I won't have more than 12 people. And what we do is we start sharing stories and our earliest money memories that have impacted how we think about money. And typically I start and I tell my story and then, you know, everybody in the room starts. And what happens, Peter, is All of a sudden, all these women who walked in with, as I call it, the woulda, shoulda, coulda baggage, that they should have done more, they would have done more, they could have done more, and feeling badly about that, all of a sudden they go, wow, even that CEO of that $100 million business is in the same place I am, even that widow who whose husband died very unexpectedly and has no idea what's going on, she's in the same place I am. So there's this connectivity that creates safety. And then the other very important piece of that is, of course, complete confidentiality. So I often say, if if you want to understand kind of how women's minds think, yes, it's the... <laughs> over 2000 tabs open, but it's also that we like to feel a sense of belonging and connectivity. And so that's why that exercise is so important to go through an exploration of your money values that you you didn't just wake up here. There were influences on your life and whether they were good or bad, that isn't really the issue. The issue is what did you embrace? what has been a potential barrier for you and how do we help you move forward? And that's through exploration of how did you get here and just acknowledging it and creating that connection. And that creates the safe environment by which they can learn. If you try to teach before you've made that connection, it's just a lot of talk. So it's really important to feel connected first.
2: Before you do the data dump, you've got to tell them why they're there. And I love the, the storytelling aspect of it and going, oh, so we're, I'm not different. I, I'm, I'm not on the land of misfit toys. Actually, everybody can't. So there's that sense of vulnerability as I can see what right now I feel I'm in a safe environment because I just said the CEO. Okay. So we're all on the same level. Now let's get into the nuts and bolts of it.
1: Correct. Perfect. Correct.
2: I love your teaching style. Absolutely. Because it kind of replicates my teaching style too. It's, it's, it's about them, not about us. Exactly. So the book is laid out in six parts. Is it six? I believe it was six. Yes. Okay, six parts. Can you kind of yeah, talk about those parts in general and, and what they are and, and
1: how it all interrelates? Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. So the idea is, um, first of all, I I do kind of set the stage, so to speak. And And what I mean by that is, I share a little bit about my own journey and the early influences uh, that I remember, and I tell those stories. And then I talk about the power of women. So we have so much more power than we realize because we make 80% of the purchasing decisions. As I said, we actually already control the majority of wealth in this country. And so it's a bit of saying, You actually have more power than you realize. And so I walk through some of those statistics um, and how the next two decades are likely to be kind of the tsunami, if you will, of women's influence. Then the second part of the story is really starting to reflect, as I said, on your own money history and different role models or people that um, had an influence on you. So really reflecting back on what were some of those messages received. And so, you know, I I won't go into the stories right now, but I got an early message from my dad, kind of no man will ever be able to afford her if we spoil her like that, which of course, I was like, what do you mean I'm going to be able to afford myself? And then also, quite frankly, the discrimination I faced in um, pay inequality. Mm. And how I uncovered it, which was really just totally by chance. So, those have influenced me and how I feel about things in that area. I walk through something called um, the Illumination Comfort Zone. And what it's meant to do is kind of tell you there, there are three areas there's values, there's the fear zone, which most of us started, mm-hmm. everybody. Then there's the learning zone. And in the learning zone, what you're doing is you're just taking step by step in a very thoughtful and methodical way to get information by which then you can make decisions. And then the confidence zone is that kind of financial freedom of, wow. I actually have choices. So I walk them through that and how that's a good framework to think about. And throughout life, we're going to go through different stages, which I talk about later. And you're going to to float between the learning zone of what you need to learn about at that next stage of life and the confidence zone. Part three is really understanding a lot about your own life, health, and wellness. What brings you energy? What zaps your energy? And therefore, how do you set yourself up for success? The fourth part is assessing these six areas of life and how they've been influenced. And those include job purpose, relationships, community, health, spirituality, and play. And there are a bunch of different exercises that take you through your history in those areas and how that has influenced where you are today and how you might think about those six areas and what you want going into the future. And then part five is building your personal illumination plan using those six areas and what you want. And as I say, you didn't just get 26 hours in the day. So you really got to make some choices about where your focus is going to be. And then I kind of Bring it all home with some additional resources, like questions to ask when looking for a financial wellness advisor and what to look for in the answer, which is probably even more important. So that you make sure it's not somebody trying to sell you product who's not listening to you, who doesn't work with uh, other women or breadwinner women or women business owners or divorcees or widows. It's, it's somebody who has some experience in the the type of delivery model, if you will, and benefits that should come to your client experience. And that's, that's kind of the last piece of getting into some of the detailed tools.
2: Wow. I love it. Absolutely love it. But, but as I was Looking through the chapters, one jumped out at me. Chapter twelve: human capital and financial capital equals the how. Scooby would say. Can you elaborate on that on chapter twelve? I'm I'm really curious about
1: how you look at this. Sure. So going back to what I talked about a little bit earlier, if you think about how most financial advisors start the process. They often start with saying, like, what do you have? Mm-hmm. And so we immediately, that's then our framework, right? That's the what. Oh, I have a house. I have a mortgage. So I have these retirement accounts. I have maybe, you know, uh, these taxable savings accounts, whatever. So that already becomes our framework of, oh, that's the what. And what I'm saying is, mm-mm, it's the what is those six areas of life. Job purpose, relationships, health, spirituality, community, and play. That's the what. What do you want in those areas? The how is human capital, which is time, energy, personal resources, and then, of course, your financial capital. How are you going to spend your money? How are you going to gift your money? Whatever that may be. That's the how. So, if you don't mind, Peter, I'm going to hold up a, a quick little chart here. Please it do. looks it looks like this, right? Okay. Your values are in the middle. Whoops. Right. I always do this. Your values are in the middle. Here are the six areas of life, okay, going around the outside. And the how is that black circle, which is your human capital and financial capital. And, and it's just saying it cannot be directed. It cannot be focused. An investment plan can't be developed until... You really look at those six areas of life and what do you want? And then also your values and making sure that those six areas of life and your values are connected. And then the how becomes so much easier and you diffuse that fear, that anxiety, because it's not the what, it's not how much do you have? Mm -hmm. Do I have enough? It's more, oh, now I understand. I have to make choices. If I want this, I might have to give up on this. Okay, that's a framework within which I can live. I feel empowered. I'm embraced where I am, and I also can get education by learning what my choices are.
2: Love that. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, interview on uh, in a podcast, and he goes, "A lot of people put their self worth in external things, when it really should be what's your intrinsic value." And I believe that's what you're talking about here and being true to that versus lack of a better cliche living uh, like living the lifestyle of the Joneses. Who are the Joneses? And Why are we trying to live their lifestyle? But, you know, it's and I was a a banker one time and it was like, so you're real estate rich, but cash poor because I'm living in a big, pretty house in a big, expensive neighborhood, but I have no
1: furniture in the house. Right. Right. And I think you know, what better time to be reflecting on these things, quite frankly, than right now, when we're together as a family, we can start telling those kind of family legacy stories. How did we get here? What's mom's job? What's dad's job? Or if there's some sort of inheritance over time, or what did granddad do? Or what did grandma do? And how does that influence us today? This is... This is such a great time to reflect and have those deeper conversations. And so my, that's one of my wishes coming out of this book is that during COVID, we have time to have these conversations. We have time to do this reflection. Let's do it. Because emerging from this, I think absolutely we're going to make different choices. I know Jeff, my husband, and I have discussed this. How we're going to travel, where we're going to travel, how we're going to spend time together as a family, all of that is changing for us. And it's really about quality time together as opposed to checking off some list of worldwide places that we've gone it's, it's really going to be what's the experience that we're having together. So that's my hope is that people really start to reflect on that. And, and let's face it, social media has not made this any better because there's always this, oh, gosh, look, their life is perfect. And we both know nobody's life is perfect. So why not just focus on what you want and, and turn off the noise and, and focus on what are your personal signals to help move you forward.
2: Yes, uh, and I I grew up in a household like what would the neighbors say? I, I finally got to the point the mom I don't care what the neighbors say. That what, what are they doing in my business? Oh, uh, if they're in my business, they've got other issues. So let's just do what we want to do and be comfortable in our own skin in doing that, and not worry about what everybody else thinks. Right. I hope, I hope you listen to this one, mom. Uh, <laughs> so you you have. and a son. The ages are?
1: 27, 25, and 22.
2: Okay. So they're all young adults. Are they living out on their own or are they all still in the household? No,
1: they're living out on their own.
2: Okay. So as you're writing this book, were you having conversations with your kids about this? Or or have you always had these type of conversations with them as they were growing up?
1: Well, we, we did start having these conversations early on. So to give you an idea in 2008, 2009, my my kids have been fortunate enough to go to private school and I knew they were hearing a lot about of course the financial declines, they knew their mom was in that industry mm. and you know kids kids are pretty smart. They pick up on a lot. And so I wanted to diffuse their worry over you know, what's going to happen to us if mom's industry is tied to this? Is she going to lose her job? Whatever. So we sat down as a family and we did two things. Number one is got to values right away. Mm -hmm. Jeff and I said, there are two things we know for sure. One is we're not pulling you out of school. We may be eating rice for dinner, but we are not pulling you out of school. And number two is we are going to continue to take family vacations together. But this year, instead of flying to Florida and renting a beach house, we are going to drive to Florida. And I walked them through. I said, this is what it's going to save in airfare. This is what it's going to save in the rental car, by the way, which they always gouge you over spring break. And um and we are gonna stay on the non-beach side and across the street. And so we will be saving X thousand of dollars by doing it that way. So I actually walked them through it. I said, my job is secure, that I'm I'm not worried about. So it's really important for you kids to understand, but we are cutting the budget and here's what we looked at. We're gonna have a family conversation about it. Here's what dad and I are suggesting. We're gonna dramatically reduce the amount we go out to eat. We are, because my income will be down. We are going to, as I said, do, this spring break differently. We're cutting out cable. I got a squawk on that one. And I said to the daughter that squawked, I said, hey, if you want to pay for it, it's $20 a month to have these movie channels. You know, you can pay for it. And she said, well, we really don't watch them all that much. I said, exactly. So (laughs) um, and it was it was good. The other thing we did, Peter, is when they hit freshmen in high school, we did put them on a budget. And this is what I would tell every parent You want your kids to make mistakes, but while they're living under your roof, because it will be a much smaller mistake. So by putting them on a budget, here's what they learned. A, gosh, if you buy that six pack of razors, it's a lot cheaper than buying the individual ones. There are a lot of ways I can save money by looking at the pricing rather than just grabbing stuff and throwing it in a cart because mom's paying for it or dad's paying for it. The second was they had to make choices. We didn't give them enough money that they could do everything they wanted. So it was, uh, ooh, do I want that new outfit or do I want to go to the school dance? Whatever, you know, having to make choices early. That's what you want them to learn. And the third was our our oldest learned very quickly that at the time Apple downloads were 99 cents click 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 she was twenty dollars off she ran over and I do let them have a credit card because I want them to start learning how to pay it and and how that works she was twenty dollars you know in the hole at the end of the month she was mortified and the way I look at it is it was twenty dollars when they go to college if you don't know this, kids get credit card offers in their school mailbox just about every day. And it could have been a $2,000 error because they don't know how to manage money. So the whole point is that you start them on, I started on essentials Mm -hmm. and then it builds up over time. You're like, okay, you're in college now. You're going to start helping pay your rent. You're going to pay for additional things. So you just keep building so that by the time they graduate from college, they have a real sense of what it actually costs to support their lifestyle and what they're gonna to need to earn to pay for themselves. And so um, that we do a lot. We also, I did tell all my kids, they were in the book. One of their stories was in the book and we do talk about it a lot. And Peter, you know, the fact of the matter is I've had one loser job. I had one go from uh, an independent contractor to getting a job offer. So he came off. They're all going to go through transitions. My other daughter's a teacher. I'm worried about her burning herself out, so we've just talked a lot about you need to focus some of your resources on wellness and so those are the kinds of discussions as opposed to just money. It's about what are our priorities, particularly given this stressful time
2: that's great i you yeah, know I have a twenty year old great kid. I know his challenges and I know his limitations. And I remember when he was younger, he wanted to buy this video game, and it was sixty bucks. And he got an allowance and for stuff around the house, but he was way short. I said, "Unless you stash your money somewhere, you have to wait till you save it up. Unless you come to me with a plan on how you're going to pay me back if I loan it to you." And I thought that would just put him off. I don't know. But the next day comes and says, "Hey, Dad, here's my plan." What? He goes, I can't dad. I came up with a plan. If I do this, this, and this, and you don't have to pay me the allowance, I'll, I'll be paid by week four. Okay. So you I will make sure that I will I will I will be auditing your chores to make sure that you're getting them done. And the kid did it. I checked off the box. Now I was, I was so proud of him for, for doing that. Twenty now now he's 20 and, and he's taking a gap year. Online learning is not his, for him. And he's going, do you know how much this costs? I went, yeah. Oh, by the way, a monthly rent is due. You got a full, right. about, a, about a full-time job and he still has to pay. His dip and, but, and um, uh, he won't listen to this. What I'm doing is that, that monthly rent, saving it. And they're going to open an IRA for him, unbeknownst to him. And be a point in time was like, Stephen, what have you been given me for that monthly rent? I've been saving it for you. You have to continue to do that now. Right, right. That
1: is, Peter, that's great. And, you know, again, there's no one way to do this. You got to do what works for you and your family, but you got to (laughs) do. And by the way, adults go through this all the time, too. So they shouldn't feel like, oh, we just have this magic Way of doing it, and that's all. It's like, no, if you know, we want to save for a big anniversary trip. What what are we going to give up on for a while to afford that? So I think what you're doing is so important. And as I said, it has to be created in a way that just works for you and your family.
2: Right. So as I begin to wrap up, there's I I do have two additional questions. And the first one, this one might seem a little bit strange, but I remember when I was writing my book, taking the number out of numbers. I didn't have a title when I started. I didn't have a title when I finished. I was scrambling for a title. And then I was with a group of friends, and I asked them what I was working on, and I told them, and like that. So I went hey, it's taking the number of numbers. And I, my head... So how did you come up with a title for your book?
1: Very similar path. <laughs> oh, good. So I, I knew what I wanted to write about, mm-hmm. but I really... What came to me in writing about the book was that what illumination means. So the full title, "Illumination: Shining a Light on a Woman's Journey to Financial Wellness." And as I said, it's not necessarily just for women, but we know it has to change for women. So that's where I where I was coming from. The idea behind it is light. Um, that there is a brightness that we're chasing our fear out of the shadows we're chasing what where the brightness can come from as we look forward and really shining a light on a different way of getting to a healthier outcome and so that's really what the whole thing has been about is the process of shining a light illumination Uh, transparency, accountability, all those things that just say, oh, there there aren't shadows here, there isn't a covering up. there isn't something being hidden from you or whatever, which is sometimes what our industry feels like. Mm -hmm. uh, Nope, this is all open for discussion. And this is all about being vulnerable and shining a light on where your bright future can be and how we get there. so did the title just come to you?
2: Once you talked that through and knew how you wanted this book to to turn out, the word illumination just popped.
1: Illumination popped to me. And um, I'm I'm a person that loves words. And so it was a bit of a, a new word too, which is something I tend to like to do is create a uh, new meaning. So it, that popped to me. And then I will say I had an advisory board mm-hmm. and we played around a lot with the subtitle and this is where we landed. And you've been through the process. What we did is we had, I had some top choices. It was interesting. The discussion started going down one path. Mm-hmm. And then when we came back to it two weeks later, we all had lived with it for a while, and we were like, Mm-mm, "This feels better over here." So there was a little bit of an evolution around it, and uh, and I thought that was really an important part of the process. Is you got to live with it and make sure it really feels right before you say, "Oh no, this is the title."
2: Right, because the book lives as long in infamy. I mean, it just lives on forever, and you become. I, what I've learned about writing a book is. You talk about the book so much, you're out to telling people about the book so much, and you live at it and it becomes even stronger. And that book follows you around all the
1: time. Right, right. If you look at the book and the cover, the whole idea of this bulb is, you know, this center part is a little bit like the 2000 tabs open. These are all the things that are flying around in her head, right? So it is important to just kind of bring clarity to that sense of being overwhelmed or there's so many different things I have to think about. So that that was part of the reason for the visual representation as well. And you'll see, you know, kind of the the beam here mm-hmm. and the and the two-tone shadow.
2: I, I love the cover. I, I absolutely love the cover of the artwork. I love, I love that story. The, the last question I have for you is, you moved to Boston. What was the real main reason why? I mean, you could've gone to
1: New York. you could have got why did you move to Boston? So I moved to Boston for three reasons. You, you need to understand first, my father and I were extremely close, and um sorry, I still. been five years, but I I still start to lose it a little bit since my dad passed. Um, And so I am going into the same industry that he was in, even though it was a little bit different. Um, I wanted a major financial city where my dad had no connections. I I wanted to go develop my own reputation Mm -hmm. rather than being his daughter, which I love being his daughter, but I needed to Develop my own independent mm. reputation, and third, I'm an ice hockey player. And believe me, in the early mid '80s, there were not a lot of places uh, that women could play ice hockey, but Boston happened to be one of them. So those were the three reasons, and um, it was a great city for me. I've I've worked out of New York. I've worked out of Chicago and other cities over time, but Boston was really a great place for me to start my career. Yeah,
2: Boston is a great city. My my wife grew up in West Massachusetts, not too far out. But when I was reading through a hockey player, now that's something you don't really hear all the time. And I had to find a way to bring that out. Now, do you still strap on the skates and play a little
1: hockey? I I would be playing right now if it weren't for COVID. I have to confess, I do help take care of my 88-year-old mom. Mm -hmm. So I can't take a risk right now that could impact her. Right. Uh, yes, absolutely. I continue to play. My husband and I actually now play together on the same team, oh. which we had about a 20-year hiatus where I was playing with the women. And I, I actually started playing with men when I first moved back to Cleveland. Hmm. And and we did play together. And then after I had my third child, I was like, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go play with the women uh, a little bit safer, um, more from a, just body size Mm -hmm. and then uh we he came and uh we invite a few select men to play with the women because we know they're respectful and it's all about the love of the game not about trying to prove who's physically stronger and um so that's been super fun over the last couple of years and our son has um been a hockey player went on and played at, at northwestern and so we have that that shared passion, which there aren't a whole lot of moms who can say they've been on the ice with their their son playing hockey. And, and so that was a lot of fun along the way as well.
2: Oh, that is so cool. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's a pleasure meeting you. I love this book and everything that you and why you wrote it. And, and how can people
1: find the book? Great question. So, first of all, it is on Amazon and it's Hardback Paperback or ebook so whatever you're most comfortable with and then also i have a website heatherettinger.com you can go there and on that website peter i will also be giving out little tips and tools and resources along the way my first passion is teaching and so my hope is that we will continue to provide content there as well so uh, and i think we'll be seeing it all the major bookstores as well by uh, barnes and noble etc so Uh, Be on the lookout, and it makes for a wonderful holiday gift and also a great start to a new year, just reframing your thought process a little bit.
2: Perfect. Heather, thank you so very much. Uh, This is Thanksgiving Eve. Hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And as my advice to everyone, Thanksgiving is when you do wear stretch pants.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Peter. This has been such a pleasure, and I hope we stay connected.
2: Oh, We most certainly will. Thank you. Thank you. I can't thank Heather enough for writing this book and sharing her story with you. So go out and pick up a copy today at Amazon.com. Search illumination, shining a light on a woman's journey to financial wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Also, please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I will conclude with an improv quote that's fitting for this interview. If everyone took an improv course, the world would be a better place. Let's modify that a bit and say, if everyone took an accounting and finance fundamentals course, their financial wellness would grow exponentially. Stay positive
0: and test negative. Like what you just heard? Visit c sweetradiocom C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.